0: This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit CincyJourney.org. Good morning. morning. Daniel, thank you for those reminders of God's grace and power. Uh, Just some wonderful, wonderful songs this morning. Uh, good morning. My name is Joe Merrick. I'm the lead pastor here at Journey, and I am thrilled that you are here with us. We are in week number nine of a ten week series on the Book of Philippians, uh, studying that this this kind of summer, and so it's been a great fun to work through that together. Want to encourage you. Uh, If you are new or you've been around many times before to reach into uh, the seat in front of you, you're going to find a Connect card there. We would love to have one of those Connect cards from every family here today. Uh, On that, you can give us some information, yes, but also you can share with us prayer requests, decisions that you've made, maybe about faith, about life. Uh, And and other information you just want us to have. That's one of the best ways for you to get it to us. We take those prayer requests seriously. Uh, They get uh, prayed for by the leadership team. And so we just want to encourage you uh, to do that this morning. So once you fill that out, uh, at the end of our time together, uh, we'll have the offering bags go by and you can drop it in there. We're going to get started here in just a moment, but before we do that, I want to take a moment. A couple of weeks ago, we had a special service where we kind of uh, put everything on hold, and we uh, served Reach Out Lakota. We uh, gathered up over 800 pounds of food, made 100 bags uh, for our community, and uh, I just wanted uh, to—I got this letter this week from Reach Out Lakota, I wanted to read at least uh, part of it with you this morning. And this is from the director at Reach Out. On behalf of Reach Out Lakota, I would like to thank you for your recent food drive on our behalf earlier this month. Your donation of 100 Hispanic food kits was overwhelming, uh, all caps, bold, and amazing. Uh, The summer months are always a challenge for our pantry as our food stores become extremely low, so the timing of your food drive was perfect. We will be able to provide food items for those in need in our community, and we are so extremely impressed by your donation. Your assistance comes at a critical time for our clients. Your generosity allows us to continue to expand our services as the needs Increased. Thank you for your ongoing support and being a neighbor to the residents of Westchester and Liberty Township. Just wanted to make sure you heard from Reach Out how deeply they appreciated uh, your time, your, your gifts, and uh, being able just to serve our community. That's one of the things that God calls us to do to serve our community. And so uh, we had been talking about uh, serving in some of the uh, study we had been doing in. Philippians. And so it was just a great time uh, to gather together, not just as a church, but as families, uh, to have our kids with us and to make those bags uh, to worship together. And I want you to hear they were deeply, deeply appreciated. And so uh, again, thank you for that. Uh, Let me just pray for us and then we'll jump in. Dear God, we are so thankful so thankful for you this morning, so thankful for this place, for um, opportunities that we've had uh, in this summer to serve together, to worship together as families. God, we thank you as we think about the songs that we sang this morning of your incredible love, of your grace, your forgiveness. For us, God, we celebrate that, and God, as we come to this moment of teaching, as we have been uh, reading the book of Philippians together, not just here on a Sunday morning, but so many of us have been reading through it and have read all the way through the book of Philippians together as a church this summer, as we've been studying what's happening, God, I pray that you just let some of these themes and some of these uh, uh, lessons that there are to learn here just seek, uh, soak deeper and deeper into our hearts. In your name, we pray. Amen. Well, like I shared with you, we're in week number nine of ten weeks. We're almost to the end of the Book of Philippians. We're all the way to chapter. The first part of chapter 4 in our series on the book of Philippians. And really, uh, uh, chapter 4, especially in the beginning, uh, gets tied all the way back to chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 27. And I'm just going to read that for you here. Uh, Whatever happens, whatever happens in your life, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm. Stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Paul, here in in chapter 4, one of the things he is doing, uh, as he does so many other places in, in Philippians, is he is encouraging the Philippians, he's encouraging the Philippians to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. To stand firm, solid, together, one. And so many times, Paul uh, uh, points to, he, the way he points to this is by pointing to unity. Pointing to unity amongst them. And as a kind of an analogy this morning, I want to talk about an Old Testament story, the story of Joseph and his 11 brothers. Uh, That's how we're going to get started this morning. Joseph, uh, if you're familiar with the story, I'm going to do it just quickly. If you're not, uh, we'll talk about where you can find it. It's a fascinating story. Joseph is a loved and and, um, uh, blessed brother. He's loved the most by his Father and he kind of gets some preferential treatment, Joseph also uh, kind of he, he shares about these things he 's not really bragging, but it just kind of comes out these dreams that he has of kind of grand things, and it just rubs his brothers the wrong way and throughout the kind of beginning of the story, you see the tension building and building and building and it 's just driving them crazy and, and it drives them so. Crazy, in fact. The resentment grows so great that his own brothers throw him into a hole, into a pit, and then they sell him into slavery. Again, this is the really fast version of this story. Uh, But uh, Joseph um, has this incredible life from there on out. This incredible life that's really like this roller coaster, where he has these incredible highs. He he gets to the uh, highest spots in, in some of these places where he serves, where he becomes a servant, and then he gets thrown into jail, and then uh, and it kind of goes like that back and forth several times until kind of the end, when Joseph ends up as second in command of all of Egypt. Egypt in this period is the powerhouse. He's really in charge of, uh, um, he's really running the country. He's not kind of a figurehead. He is running the country, making the decisions. Second command, only person above him is Pharaoh. There's a great famine that comes. And because of God's direction and because of Joseph's wisdom... The Egyptians, they're ready for it. They have storehouses full of food. In fact, they have so much food that they can not only feed their people, they can feed the people around them. And so people from all over neighboring countries and regions, they would come and they would pay exorbitant prices for food. And sometimes when they were out of food, they'd just beg. And one day, one of the groups that came before Joseph, he recognized Was his brothers. His brothers were standing before him, uh, and and they were uh, really, they were just famished. And it's this incredible scene, and it really is a fascinating story. If you don't uh, know this story, or even if you know it, I encourage you to read it again. Genesis 37 through 45, this great read of, of just this incredible story of grace and forgiveness. And, and so Joseph, as kind of this incredible foreshadow of Jesus' forgiveness and grace for us, he forgives his brothers. He forgives his brothers, and, um, you know, you can almost imagine the scene. Uh, there must have been so many people around Joseph just saying, hey, we know what your brothers did to you. Well, let's, let's turn this around on them. Let's make sure they experience everything that you experience. Let's make sure that they experience all of the difficult days and the, the slavery and just the pain. Joseph says, No. I'm going to forgive them. He says, I'm going to forgive them. And then he says, he wants his brothers to do something for him. He says, go back and bring our father, bring him here so that we can be united. So we can be united. And and on the way, all of this to say this one line. On the way back from uh, where Joseph, his brothers, have been before him, he's given them some food, they're supposed to go back and get their father, he gives them one command on the journey. Genesis 45, verse 24. Don't quarrel on the way. Don't quarrel on the way. I think Joseph here has some incredible insight into human behavior. He's got some incredible insight into how our minds work. He knows our tendencies to blame, to fight. He knows our our ideas that pop into our head and we say, you know, it wasn't really my idea. Why why didn't you tell me to do that? I I didn't really want to go along with it. I was just kind of following everybody else. He knows that we like to pass judgment on others so that we feel better about ourselves. And so he gives, us a, gives them this clear command, don't quarrel on the way. And what Joseph is saying to his brothers is this, you have just received this incredible gift of forgiveness. I had all this power, I had all this ability, I had all these people, most likely, in my ear saying, no, let's, let's, uh, let's torture them, let's put them into slavery, let's do all the things they did to you, but I'm not going to do it, I want to forgive you. You've got this incredible gift of forgiveness right here, and we're just about to be unified, back together as a family once again. I can't believe it's going to happen. Don't mess it up. Don't quarrel on the way back. That's virtually the same thing as what Paul tells two women in the start of chapter 4 of the book of Philippians. Two ladies in a fight. Their names were Eudia and Centia. And they're in a fight and everybody knows it. Paul mentions it here in his letter in the very beginning of chapter 4. He mentions it to them, and and we don't know what it's about. We don't know who started it. It doesn't matter. The implication is, though, that everybody who heard this letter, they knew precisely what Paul was talking about. Remember, that's one of the things that we've been discovering about the book of Philippians. It's it's a letter for Paul in prison in Rome. And the Philippians, they heard that he's been in prison. They're worried about him. And so they send him a helper. They send him some finances. And Paul writes this letter back to the Philippians. And he's not uh, sharing details about any of this stuff. He's sharing about how the gospel is going to continue on, how God is working in the situation And he comes to this point where, so everybody, and he sends a letter back to the Philippians and everybody who's already concerned about them, they're all gathered up together to hear about this as a church. And the letter gets read aloud, gets read aloud to everybody. And so they all know about this fight between these two ladies, the church might have even kind of picked sides when it split right down the middle maybe. The, each words kind of uh, say, I'm with her and I'm with her. Paul says, though, remember when we all work side by side. Let me read those verses for you this morning. Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 9. He says, I plead with you, Eudia, and I plead with you, Cynthia to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, finally, sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the peace of God will be with you. Paul here. Paul here is talking to these two ladies, to the whole church, to us today. And he wants to put our arguments, our disagreements, our grudges into perspective. And, and Sometimes when we look back at a letter like this in a, in a moment, historically, we want to know, well, what were they arguing about? Do, we don't have any clues here. We don't have, all we have are guesses. And, and sometimes I think it's more powerful that way. Because the implication becomes, it doesn't matter what the details of your disagreement is. It doesn't matter the reasons for your grudge. Paul and Jesus and God's say. Get over it, find healing, and find it quickly. And so Paul, uh, to kind of illustrate this lesson, to highlight this lesson, uh, this unity that he's searching for in the uh, Philippians as a whole, and especially between these two ladies, he says, let's put this into some perspective, really three perspectives If you're following along, if you're taking some notes today, eternity, community, and divinity. Eternity, community, and divinity. First, let's walk through these together. Eternity. From the beginning, Paul not only reminds these women that they served side by side not that long ago, they serve side by side together and with him not that long ago he also reminds them about eternity he talks about their names in the book of life that they have an eternal destination and what paul is doing is so important here it's so important when we're in an argument when we're in, when we have a grudge he's reorienting He's reorienting these ladies. He's reorienting the church. He's reorienting our focus, not on this particular situation, but on eternity. Question. He, he's saying to us this world is not all we have. You're so focused on this moment, you're forgetting about forever. question that gets posed here is this in the face of eternity where does this tiff where does this argument rate when you're balancing those things out is it even a blip on the radar he takes it further he says uh, when you remember that Jesus came and, and he forgave you when you didn't deserve it that he provides you grace and forgiveness that opens the door for eternity and eternal relationship with God, and his only command, or one of his commands, I should say, one of his commands is to simply treat others with the same grace he has treated you. How do our petty arguments live on? Paul asks. When we compare them with eternity, when we compare them with all that God has done for us, how do they continue on? So Paul wants us, when we face an argument, when we face a grudge, he wants us to say, all right, here's this and here's eternity. Let's try and balance these things out. Let's, let's weigh these out. And he argues, I think you'll find that eternity wins out every time. The second uh, uh, kind of perspective Paul wants to put uh, the argument in, this argument, our arguments, is in the perspective of community. Perspective of community. Paul understands something here that we so often miss. He gets something that we so often skip over. When we're in an argument, when we're in a disagreement, when, when we're holding on to a grudge, we so often think, it only affects me. only affects what well, maybe the person I'm arguing with. It doesn't really affect anybody else. And Paul is really clear here, and especially in other places in Scripture, he says, no, that's not how it works. It's not how it works. It affects the whole body, the whole church. Wasted energy. It damages our credibility with the world. And we see Paul kind of uh, express these concerns in two ways. First, remember, just like I talked about already, this is a public letter. He doesn't see this as a private issue. This is a public letter that that came to the uh, church at Philippi, and it gets read aloud to everybody else. They're, They're there maybe. Just imagine that scene. They're lined up side by side, one with this lady, one with that lady. Divided over their arguments. It's not a private issue. Paul addresses it publicly. Secondly, he calls on the church. He calls on somebody in the church to stand up and mediate this thing. If they can't really work it out amongst themselves, somebody needs to stand up and insert themselves into this situation and be a mediator. That's what, in verse 3, Paul calls his true companion. We see Paul uh, respond similarly to other situations, namely in, in Corinthians where uh, two believers in, in the church in Corinth got into such a disagreement that they sued one another. And Paul hears about it, and he's furious. He's absolutely livid. And he writes to them, listen to his language in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 5. He says, I say this to shame you. It's pretty harsh language. <laughs> I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? And he's saying this to the whole church, remember. Nobody could stand up and figure this out. Let it just fester and continue on. till it went all the way to a, a worldly court. Paul says, shame on you. Paul so wisely understands what we need to understand. That two parts of the body, two parts of the body can't be fighting one another and then act like it doesn't affect the rest of the body. Third perspective. Paul asks, us to put our arguments, our grudges, uh, kind of in the face of, is divinity. Directly after Paul names the argument, he, ca- he calls it out. He said, I've heard about this. I don't know what the details are. I don't care. He calls out the disagreement and he pleads with them to be unified. He makes it really clear that's the expectation That you uh, and the whole church get beyond this. That you're unified. And then he turns his attention to Jesus. Turns our attention to Jesus. Listen to verses 4 through 8. Rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation... So Paul, Paul calls for unity. But he doesn't get into the details of who's right and who's wrong. He doesn't figure that out for me. He calls somebody in the church to stand up and do that if they can't do it themselves. What Paul does is far more important. He calls them to unity, not so much with each other as with the Lord. He's calling them to un- be in unity with the Lord. He's saying, You're in an argument? All right, well, this is what you should do. Listen to me. Rejoice. You don't believe me? Let me say it to you again. Rejoice. Uh, Let's show the world that you trust in God by not fighting the way everyone else does. He continues on. He says, God is near. God's near. You can focus on that. You don't have so much to worry about. You're so focused on this situation, on being wronged, on on getting it figured out. But God is near. Stop worrying about that. Call out to him. Call out to God. He will guide you, Paul says. He will help you. He may have possible answers when you... I mean, he may have uh, provide you answers when you didn't even see... Possibilities. Lastly, stop wasting energy. Stop holding grudges, Paul says, and wrongs, and focus not on those things, but focus on what is good and right in the world. That's the example you've seen. In short, Paul says to the Philippians, Paul says to us, you think you've been wronged? You think uh, uh, you're mad at a friend, at a spouse, you're mad at somebody three rows away or 30 miles away? Stop trying to control the outcome. Stop trying to control the optics and let the disagreement in your relational world be a call. Be a call on your heart to grow in your faith and your relationship with God and see what God can do with that. See what God can do with that. Control how you respond to the situation and respond with greater faith. Greater faith. That's what Paul says to do. And then finally, just in case this morning you have uh, been sitting there and you said, okay, I see. That was nice. I see how that applied to, to Paul and those two little ladies 2,000 years ago. and I see how it might uh, apply to some other people in my life, but you don't understand. You don't understand my situation. You don't understand how hurt I have been. You don't understand how long this has been going on, and you're right. I don't. But what I do understand is Paul went to some great lengths to make this about more than just two little ladies in a dusty Mediterranean town 2,000 years ago. Listen to some of the ways he uses these words. I think we have some of those up here. Rejoice. Rejoice when? Always. Let your gentleness be evident, not just to somebody, not just to yourself, but to all. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, pray. Whatever is true, if anything is excellent, whatever you have learned from me, think on these things. Paul's working really hard here. He's working really hard to make it about more than just this situation. He wants us to understand. The scriptures want us to understand it applies to us as well. The details of our arguments, that who started it, that uh, who's at fault, isn't nearly as much of a concern as finding unity and peace and grace And forgiveness. So what part of these verses could you apply? What part of these verses could you apply this week? If we understand that these aren't just words for us, some little ladies 2,000 years ago, but are for us today. Are there some disagreements, some grudges that you've held on to that you can work on? So many lessons here in, in these verses. Here's just a few. Maybe one of the things that you could do as you think about uh, how to live out these verses this week is answer this question. Do you need to rejoice? Do you need to rejoice? Remember, that's how Paul responds. He says, you're in an argument. Rejoice. Rejoice. Refuse to let the conflict blind you to the ways that God is working and moving. Rejoice. And let the grudge drown out the thankfulness we should all have in what God is doing in our lives, in our church, in our world. Do you need to let Gentleness be evident to all. Notice how he writes that is really clear. He doesn't say, Hey, just be gentle, be kind. He's saying, Make it evident, not just to yourself, because sometimes we think, Hey, we're showing lots of grace, but the other person, they don't see it. Paul says, Make sure it's evident to everyone. Make sure everybody understands that you're not working, you're not moving from a place of, of a grudge and just um, bitterness in your heart, but you're moving forward with justice and grace. Make sure that's evident, not just to your way of thinking, but to all, Paul says. It's a much higher standard, isn't it? Or maybe you need just to simply let your requests be known to God. Sometimes, when we're in an argument, when we're in a disagreement, when we feel like we have been wronged and we're kind of holding on to that grudge, we get so focused in on it, it kind of sucks up our energy, our mental energy, our kind of emotional energy, and we even know that it's not good and healthy. And so we're trying to fix it, we're trying to get over it, but we're trying to do it Ourselves. Paul says, "No, can't do it that way." Paul says, "Let your requests be known to God. Call out to God, tell Him about your troubles, so that other people in your life can see your peace." That's really what Paul's been saying here. Let everybody else, see your peace. Let God know. Your pain. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord God, we have been working through this book of Philippians and it has been just a joy. It's been a joy to kind of spend some extra time uh, to dig a little deeper, to, to kind of really get into some of the details that maybe we couldn't normally get into Today was one of those. These two ladies in a disagreement, in an argument, something that we have all experienced before. We lose track of who's at fault, we lose track of even how it started. We just know that we have this grudge and we have this kind of just hardened heart towards this person, towards this place, whatever it might be, God. And Paul just starts picking away at that starts picking away as he talks about all the kind of different perspectives we should put these arguments in. uh, The eternal perspective, weighing it out between you and and eternity, between this argument and eternity, this uh, community perspective, this reality that it's about more than just me and this other person. It's affecting the whole body. This divinity perspective. God, what you're calling us to every day is to be more like you. Even when you call us to unity, that's one of the ways you call us to be more unified is is not by fixing everything on our own uh, between these relationships God, but by growing closer to you and as we all grow closer to you, we grow closer to one another. God, my prayer is As we have read these words, as we have read uh, Paul, honestly, he's talked about unity multiple times in this book. Maybe that's because it's a big deal. Maybe it's because it's a lesson that we think we got under control, but we're missing it. My prayer, God, is you make it clear in our hearts what kind of steps we can take this week to be more unified with one another, to be more unified